Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gems of History podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Shop, and joining me today, I've got Mark Steinbrenner. What's good in the hood? Whoa. And Evan Roosh over there. Howdy, everyone. I figured I'd introduce Mark first this time since you usually go first. So Yeah, I, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Switch it up a little bit. I agree. How you feeling, Mark? Pretty decent. I feel like him saying howdy is not allowed, what? given what we're talking about today. Do you, At do least you, you, do you prefer the banquet beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I can say howdy, but I have to follow it up with that. Or you have to talk in like an Old West accent the whole time. Or I have to just like wrangle a fresh boar, something like that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> good. Yep, I'm doing it right now exactly. on, our, on our audio. Better be product. hooting and hollering all all the live long day. How are you boys doing? Besides Mark finally recovering from being sick, uh, pretty good. I don't know. I got nothing bad to say. Oh, that's good. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've been good. Just another another week of paradise. Evan, I see you're a man of taste with your yellowtail Moscato. Yes, it has a kangaroo on it. Yeah, he's getting real fancy today. Wow. Mm-hmm. Pink yellow and everything. Yep. So if I'm a sassy bayach <laughs> <laughs> on this uh, on this episode, you know why? I just been having some wine. It's a zingy and refreshing, bursting with passion fruit and sweet mountain flavors wine. <laughs> wow. It's a little Moscato. It's a little sweet, a little fizzy. Sponsored. Whole new taste. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be so sassy and flirty down here. Let's see which oh, one comes. Oh boy! All right, uh, Jake, what you all right. Got? That's all we got for you today. So. <laughs> They're like, hide the wine, hide the wine. <laughs> An end of a twenty-year friendship by Yellowtail Moscato. <laughs> hey, that's the one thing that could get in between us is that artistic-looking kangaroo. Look at that bad boy! Wow. A little sweet, a little fizzy, new taste. <laughs> Not a sponsor, but little hey, shout out yellow. Them. Different. different yeah. <laughs> I don't know, guys. It's like people only do things because they get paid. And that's just really <laughs> that's sad. That's just really <laughs> sad. Well, you guys want to jump right into our uh, trivia for the day? Because uh, we got a, <clears throat> a couple of fun things planned. So I want to make sure that we probably have time for everything. So Okay. Sure, sure. Let's do it. Have, is, start? is that your draft notes? Yes, these are, uh, so this is my work notebook for my corporate marketing job. This is my fantasy football notebook and my Gems of History podcast <laughs> wow, notebook. you're really putting in some work on that thing. It's just, I mean, if it these does pages look in shambles. could talk, they'd be very, That very thing confused. is crying to me with how it looks. It, it's been through the ringer. Holy tamale. We just talk about, like... Our manuscripts, our writings getting discovered a thousand years from now or whatever after they've been buried. And we're just going to see QB Jalen Hurts. What does this mean? <laughs> oh, is this the, a secret? <laughs> the notebook that I use, used to use for uh, my top or my trivia questions, it has like three separate D&D games in it that are like back to back pages. And then it's got like notes from like random other stuff. And then it's just got random history, history trivia in it. So it's just. They're going to have no idea. <laughs> or they're going to think that we were fighting like some crazy war based on turns. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to jump to like the most preposterous conclusions like we do. Pretty much. Whenever we discover something. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I take offense to that. <laughs> <laughs> I am always reasonable and keep my emotions in check. <laughs> That's right. Well, Evan, you were excited because you had your trivia question prepared 
I, a full hour before we mm-hmm. started recording, An which is pretty hour. good for you. And I was <laughs> guilty of not having yeah. one until five minutes before. It gets it's, oh. it's usually we set up the table, look at each other like crap. Yep. <laughs> so for you two, what was the name of the first video posted on YouTube? Was it A, me at the zoo? B, Charlie bit my finger. C, let's get some shoes. Or D, A A B. Me at the zoo. I I do also think that that's the case. I have no idea what the last one is though, so I'll also say maybe that last one. But I think it is me at the zoo. I'll say D though. Ooh, so the correct answer is A. Me yeah, at the that, zoo. That sounds right. And looking up, it's a 19 second video of just this gentleman in front of some elephants, just talking about his zoo experience and. Seeing some elephants. Yeah, that sounds like back it's when, worthy of some views. Back it's when so the wholesome. internet was pure. Right. Yeah. Before it got corrupted by TikTok. <laughs> by the one ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you go on YouTube and it's just like a bunch of Twitch streamers posting the same thing that they t- streamed on Twitch and then music videos. <laughs> that or just the Bully Maguire. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I keep getting a bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh meme videos now. Yeah, oh, all the time. Yeah, I was watching those, and then I watched, like, it was like a 25-minute video, and it was just everything wrong with season one of Yu-Gi-Oh, <laughs> and it was pretty funny. And there was nothing, there was no content, because yep. it was absolutely perfect. Oh, because, like, it's based on the manga, and, like, w- during that period, there was really no trading card game rules, so everything was just willy-nilly. So this guy goes through the whole thing being like, oh, this rule is broken in this part of the video. And it's just like, okay, well, the, the rules didn't exist then. <laughs> yeah, the show was 10 out of 10, though. And then he's just like, oh, and then we get this absurd voice from uh, from Tristan in the first three episodes. And it just changes to this. And it's just like way more masculine sounding. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the first voice he has is just like, oh, my gosh, Yugi. <laughs> <laughs> It's the weirdest thing. And that dude was promptly fired. Probably. Or killed. Sent to the Shadow, to the Shadow Realm. Realm. <laughs> I do love after he turns into Yama Yugi, the, his friends are just like, oh, I can't tell what it is, but he just seems different for different. some reason. It's like, that's not, that's a different dude, guys. Come like, on. It, when he gets battles, he battles that one dude in the Shadow Realm, and all of his friends are like the card characters. His normal form is one of the people fighting and the, uh, his wow. other the yami guys actually like dueling so it's how do you not notice there's two separate guys here yeah right in their excuse it's always Taya. she's like he some, just seems so much more confident the power of friendship yeah i was gonna say yeah, always, the power of always some crap about friendship with Taya. oh there's one so scene funny. where he's making fun of Taya in the video and she just goes oh man this card's really good if only i could remember what it does <laughs> And he, he's like, all the effects are written on the cards. <laughs> okay, so there was, uh, you know, but there's been all this Tobey Maguire stuff, Bully Maguire or whatever. Well, they've been doing a lot of ones with Yu-Gi-Oh! And at one point, Taya comes in and she talks about, like, how they're going to help Bully Maguire through this Yu-Gi-Oh! battle. <laughs> yeah. He's like, thank you, but I don't need your help. But, yeah. like, <laughs> just cuts her off. Anyway, so, Jacob? You want me to go? Yep. All right. In the early 90s, Pepsi traded soda with Russia and received what in return? A. Military equipment. B. Exclusive rights in their stores. C. Animals from the Moscow Zoo. Or D. All of the above. Ooh. Wow, that last one's a real kicker. 
I, mean, I was, was going to say military equipment. Was B animals from the Moscow Zoo? C was. Let's go with C. And you're going with mil- whatever military equipment was. Okay. It's that or all of them. So. In the early 90s, Pepsi owned 17 submarines, a cruiser, a frigate, and a destroyer, all because of a deal with the Soviet Union in which they exchanged soda for military equipment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I got to know what the ratio of how much soda they got <laughs> I for, know. A, for just literally one of those items. That's insane. It, I don't think it says in here like exactly what they got. Yeah, it just says that fact, so I don't know what huh. the exchange rate was in cans of soda per destroyer, but... There's Man, a communism. Russia. All, by all I know is that the Russians got the better end of the deal. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, there is a cult in, I believe it was like the 70s in Japan, and they were just trading back and forth with Russia, and they're getting like attack helicopters and like RPGs and stuff from them. So Russia was just giving out their armaments willy nilly. Do you know guess. what the cult was trading? I. I think just money it was they're just oh. giving them cash yeah. oh so a purchase yes yeah, so they're just <laughs> buying stuff from them but it's like why are you giving up all your military stuff like i feel like you might need that eventually but right okay we got some extra stuff just kind of give it away but i'm pretty sure russia is the same company same country that like painted their airplanes different when they landed so they could fly back and forth to make it look like they had more planes so i guess they're just doing whatever they feel like over there big brain moves i gotta do it yeah all right, my question, slightly different than that one, but uh, how many dimples does the average golf ball have? Ooh. A, 336, B, 612, C, 254, D, 195. You're going to have to repeat no, those. All right. Yeah, I, was about to say, I already forgot. So, again, dimples on a golf ball. A, 336. B, 612, C, 254, or D, 195? I'm going to go with C. That's what I was going to go with as well, but I'm gonna, I am gonna. think I'm going to go with A. The correct answer, on average, a golf ball has A, 336 dimples. Two for two again. Let's wow. go, baby. Wow. Is that six in a row for you? Four, I think. <clears throat> uh, maybe. I think it's just four. I don't remember. I don't work Uh-oh, here. Oh, get hot. <laughs> He's heating up. Do I get like, I was going to say an extra question, like in when you play beer pong and you're on fire oh, yeah. and you get the balls back, but I don't really know how that would work. Yeah, I don't know how that would work <laughs> Unless at all. Unless I just get the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I just get to ask you guys another question. But anyways, you guys ready to uh, get into some somewhat fun and less than fun stuff? Yeah. Are we going to the Wild West? We are, some, oh, kind of. Oh. Some somewhat fun, some somewhat not fun. So we're going to have a very like average time. Yeah, no, very normal we're gonna time. Just, we're going to have a roller coaster time. Oh. So, but I didn't even plan this out, but the events that I'm going to talk about mainly started on the day that this episode's going to come out. So that's ah. kind of interesting. Ah. That's just the I, neatest little I nugget. I didn't plan that out at all, but it just worked out that way. So today... We're going to be talking about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Ooh. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. The Triple M. Triple M. I don't know anything about this. Not many people do, and that's why I want to talk about it today, because I feel like it should... I'm starting a little trend here where I talk about things that I think should be in history books that aren't in history books. So, I mean, we talked about 
me and Evan did at least the uh, the Russian or Ukrainian famine, which I feel like should be talked about more. And I also feel like stuff like this should be talked about more because it's mm-hmm. one of the largest mass killings in American history. So Ooh. that's fun. Have yeah. You have that to look forward to. Oh, wow. That, uh, <laughs> that's going to be exciting. It's kind of why I suggested that we play a game at some to point. To make it lively. Right, to throw like a happy face on this. Uh... Yeah, even though the game is going to be based around the idea of Oregon Trail, which you basically just die anyway everyone gets dysentery and or like heat stroke yep pretty much what the hell happened last night (laughs) aladdin came and stole three of my oxen (laughs) we'll forge the river (laughs) (laughs) all right okay so before i get into it i'm just gonna cite my sources because i keep forgetting to do that so i used a youtube channel called saints unscripted that did a little two-parter on this uh jerry skinner documentary on youtube FamousTrials.com, PBS.org, MountainMeadowsMassacre.com, and History.com were my main sources. PBS is involved? Yeah. This is going to be good. I was about to say, like, that's the most random source I think I've heard on yeah. this episode. They did like a whole thing called The American Experience, and this was a part of that series, I guess, if it was a series. I don't know. America <laughs> Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> guitar riff. Thank you. That's my guitar riff. <laughs> So, at the end of the summer in 1857, one of the largest mass killings in American history and the darkest spot of Mormon history took place in an area called Mountain Meadows in Utah. The Mormons definitely organized the event, but not all of the higher-ups were in on the plan. After all was said and done, over 100 people were dead, and only one man was ever convicted and executed for the massacre. So, today we're going to look at what led to this event, how the events themselves took place and all of that good stuff in what became known as the Mountain Meadows Massacre. So I'm just going to preface this by saying I'm going to cover a lot of stuff in very little time, so I'm definitely not going to get everything, every detail in there. But the whole Mormon history is very, like, there's a lot going on there. So That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm going to give very broad stroke overviews on a lot of this but it's just to kind of give background on what events led up to this and why tensions were so high and all of that so most of the stuff that i'm going to talk about at the beginning is just setting the the ground for what happens later on so the mormon church which started in april of 1830 by alleged prophet joseph smith it began pretty dubious to say the least and if any of you have seen South Park, you may have seen the episode where they Joseph talk about... Joseph Smith was a prophet. Dum, 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 dum. That's the only thing I can think about now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, they do a, a, a whole episode on Joseph Smith being kind of a, a dum, dum, <laughs> and like just wandering around doing willy-nilly things. And it's not all that far off because this guy was pretty much a known swindler in the area and he was just... A guy that swung around his his cunning over everyone else. Not his... Cunning? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I was really worried where that was yeah. going. No, like he... That's the first time that phrase has ever been said. <laughs> and then he swung around his cunning. Well, I, like he just lorded it over everyone because he knew he was more clever than everyone else. So it was very easy for him to swindle people, especially at this time because in America... People were very focused on trying to figure out how the Native Americans got to America 
which they could have just accepted the fact that they were just there to begin with. But in order for them to not feel guilty for taking the land from the people, they wanted to figure out a reason for why they got put there versus the fact that they may have already owned the land in the first place. So Joseph Smith kind of took advantage of this and was reading some of the literature at the time. And he came up with the story of Mormonism by claiming that he found or he was told by an angel named Moroni that there was some ancient tablets made of gold out in a forest or one of the burial mounds like nearby where he lived and that it was his duty to go dig up these plates because he was the chosen one and only he could look at them and he was the one that was going to transcribe the message and pretty much preach this new word of God. Like you said, like just that background, that's so, I don't want to say genius, but like it's genius. Like, no, I'm the only one that can actually read what this thing says. It's my job. No one else do it. Finders keepers get lost. I don't know. If, you gotta have some pretty gullible people, though, I feel like for that kind of thing. But maybe not. Maybe if they really trusted this guy or he was really as cunning as you say. But I think he also needed like some special glasses to read him. No, well... I'll get into that in a second. Oh, but okay. At this time in America, too, it was the, pretty much the first time that these people had freedom to kind of exercise their religion how they wanted to mm-hmm. because they didn't really have that freedom when they were over in Europe. So, like, we had the Quakers and all of those people and tons of little movements popping up here and there. So it wasn't that crazy for another guy to come out and say, well, I found this new text and it says this whole other story and maybe you should check it out kind of thing. And he he was like pretty clever about how he went about it because as Mark said, he he needed these seeing stones to uh, transcribe the tablets. And so basically, I guess what he would do is he would put these stones into a hat and just stick his head in the hat. And then he would just read off what he saw and someone else would write it down for him uh-huh. because he could read, but he couldn't write. So he had to have someone transcribe it for him. And at first it was his wife, and then it was a uh, friend of theirs who was this really gullible dude. And the guy started transcribing it, and he wrote out a whole first draft. And the guy who was writing it for him, whose name I'm forgetting, but he took it home to his wife, and his wife's like, are you sure this guy's legit? Like, is he actually reading off some gold tablets that you apparently can't read, and he's the only one that can see, because otherwise your head's going to explode if you see it? Because that's literally what Joseph Smith told people. Wow. Um, And she hid the manuscript and told Joseph Smith, like, if we're going to keep funding you on this project, you're going to have to rewrite that if if you claim you have these tablets that you can transcribe word for word kind of thing. And so he just said, oh, no, the devil corrupted those tablets. So God gave me new ones that say basically the same thing, but it's a little different. Oh, my God. And so he, like... Pretty much, because he pretty much stream of consciousness, the whole thing. Like, he just started spewing out words and made up this whole story as he went. And it was, like, for the time, like, it was a fantasy novel, basically. And all the details and stuff, people believe, like, he couldn't have just made this up. Because he had so much background on, like, what cities look like and what the people wore and all that stuff. So, but I'm getting... Like, way too into this, I said I would do broad strokes, so we're just going to leave it at that. But 
In short, the story that he wrote claimed that the, the Native Americans were transplanted from Israel in America around the time of Jesus' death. And in the three days that Jesus was in between his resurrection and in death and resurrection, uh, Jesus visited America, gave these people a whole like another part of the Bible and told them, okay, go preach this as well. And then went back over to where he was going to be found later. And it's just not the religion of any of the Native American people. Right. And also just... I'm assuming thousands of people just vanished from Israel at the time and no one noticed. <laughs> yeah, right? And they just took boats over from Israel to America. Just not easy at all at the time. Because this is like... Early, Zero AD, yeah. essentially. So, good luck. But Yeah, no boat is making it across. Yeah. I don't think the technology was there. But just, yes. SpongeBob, we have the technology. <laughs> Oh, they probably just hooked, got hooked up by John White. John White's a known uh, time traveler. John, White's, John White, the immortal. <laughs> we don't need to give that guy any more credit. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, these Israelites lived here and then somehow got cursed by it because one of the people that originally got here like rebelled or whatever, and then they were cursed with red skin, and that's how the Native Americans got here. So... That was his backstory for American like natives, which it's not. It doesn't get any better than like as far as what people believed at the time. So right. So basically, he transcribed these plates as I mentioned and began what is now the largest homegrown American religion with over thirteen million members. And even with the widespread appeal and how quickly he kind of amassed a following. That it it went through quite a few growing pains as they like grew into what they are now. So as he was amassing these large numbers of followers, he even made a presidential run in 1844, which didn't go as planned for him. But lucky for us, he it didn't. And with their practice of polygamy, which if you don't know what polygamy is, it's the practice of taking multiple wives. So with that becoming more common knowledge in the public, the attitude towards Mormons from outsiders shifted kind of towards them being an annoyance and even hatred eventually because they didn't like what where this was going. And basically these people would move in a large group and wherever they would go, they'd have political influence because they would all vote together in that area. So it's not really, they, they thought it wasn't really fair because all of these religious people people were having a huge say in what went on and basically mm -hmm. mandating their own things. So there was a newspaper from a group of former uh, Latter-day Saints that started publishing stories highly critical of Joseph Smith. And so he didn't like that when he found out. So he had that newspaper press destroyed. And upon that, he kind of started organizing like a little militia. And so Illinois officials came and charged uh, Joseph and his brother Hiram with treason and conspiracy and threw him in jail. And so while they're in jail, a mob stormed the building and killed both Joseph Smith and his brother. So that's a very broad strokes overview of how Joseph Smith's life went after he started Mormonism. But that is one reason why the Mormons and the public are already at odds. So after this, 
Brigham Young was appointed as Smith's successor two years later and the leader of the Church of Christ. And so after being chased around the United States in and out of towns, and even with one, I think it was Missouri, the governor issued an extermination order on all of the Mormons. So that was, I believe, one of the only times that's ever happened in American history. That's insane that it even happened. Yeah. I never knew that. Like, that's... Yeah, so they were not doing well in the places that they were visiting, so they were getting chased around a lot. So Brigham Young became the leader, and they had to find a new home for his persecuted church members. So he led an expedition party of, I believe, 147 men out to the Valley of the Great Salt Lake in Utah in 1847, which was three years before Utah even became a recognized territory in the United States. It was still part of Mexican control. Uh, So he declared himself governor in that new colony and had all of the Mormon church members start moving out that way. And so... Once they all moved out there, they began to pretty much influence all the local politics and kind of run everything because they had numbers and they had the governor in their control. So now with that all happening, there is even more internal strife in between just the Mormons themselves because Joseph Smith didn't really set up his religion to be very pacifist. They were pretty... He preached a lot of violent rhetoric in a lot of what he did, and one of the biggest violent things that he would preach was the uh, doctrine of blood atonement. And so blood atonement basically said if your fellow man commits a sin that's so bad that it can't be forgiven, then you are legally allowed or almost required to kill that person because that's the only way that they're going to get salvation, basically. Oh. (laughs) So that was going on internally in the Mormon community. And so now with all these numbers of members there and their leader in a position of power and people not liking the Mormons in general, James Buchanan pretty much decided this. they're in rebellion against the government because they're like usurping decisions that our government officials are attempting to make because they can pretty much overturn anything we say and all of these people don't like them. And so we got to put some sort of stop to all of this. And he decided to send the U.S. troops to Utah and began what is known as the Utah War. So the Utah War pretty much started when... Uh, Buchanan declared that he was sending troops there. And at this point, Brigham Young saw this after already having an extermination order as some sort of hostility and pretty much a mass persecution again and told everyone in Utah, basically, start like holding all your grain in your houses, like move it to the mountains if you want to, because we have to get ready just in case we have to move out of here when these troops get here, because otherwise we might end up dead. So 1,500 troops began to march towards the territory in the spring of 1857, which was a decade after the Mormons had originally settled there. So they had a little bit of time to themselves before it all kind of boiled over. But Brigham at this point declared that the Mormons would be in defiance of all, quote, Governments, but especially ours. I will fight them and I will fight all hell, end quote. So you can tell that 
the leaders of the Mormon church aren't really doing much to try and calm the situation. Right. That's kind of insane. Like I had literally no idea that this happened. Like like the Utah war. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. It, it's known as the bloodless war because, well, I'll tell you why later, but yeah, I didn't know about it either. And the fact that it was an internal conflict in America and this is leading up to the civil war. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot going on here. You'd think that it'd be something that would be taught, but I never really heard of it either that or it was just like skimmed in history classes and whatever. Right. And now like Brigham Young has a very famous university named after him, like in, I believe that's in Utah, right? Uh, I would I assume, assume so. so. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I don't know where else it would be. Not. It's like in New York city. I don't <laughs> yeah. actually know. It's actually down the street in Milwaukee. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> But no, it's kind of crazy. I never knew that he said, like, had quotes like that also saying that he would fight our own government. He would fight hell. As you can, you probably can already kind of tell, there's this whole story is a lot of overreactions and bad decisions on every side. Mm -hmm. It's not just the Mormons. It's not just the U.S. government. And it's not just the the party that we'll end up talking about in a little bit. Pretty much everyone has a little bit of fault, but the government and the Mormons are the two biggest parties that are in the wrong here. So, I mean, it's not good on any side. It's just a lot of people trying to do too much over something that's not really worth it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you can understand why the Mormons feel threatened having troops come into their area because... They've already had an s- entire state say that you can kill all of the Mormons. So, yeah, everyone's very on edge. It seems like with the Mor- the Mormon militia numbering about a thousand, they wouldn't participate in any direct bloodshed with the U.S. troops. As I said, to be known as the Bloodless War, so they are reported to may maybe have attacked some supply lines a few times, like burned wagons and stuff, but never actually had any organized, straight up battles with the militia. Or with the military, I should say. So instead, like I said, Young ordered all of the settlements to stockpile all their grain and prepare to leave. And along with that, he told them not to trade with any people coming through. Because at the same time these troops were moving, there's a ton of emigrants moving from different states out east coming west to try and get to California, which everyone at this period in time seemed to be doing is moving out west gold (laughs) exactly so um they brigham pretty much said don't trade with any of these people keep all of your stuff look out for yourselves and only yourselves because we need to stick together to stay alive basically so one of the groups that was moving west known as the fancher party otherwise known as the baker fancher party or fancher baker party there it's got plenty of names because it was two families that banded their wagon trains together. And from all accounts that I heard, it was like a pretty wealthy wagon train. They had like multiple dozen wagons and I think it was around 140 people total. So it was a lot of people and a lot of goods moving out West. So they made their way through Utah at this time. And this led to conflict outside of the conflict present for the Utah war. And this conflict would ultimately not end as amicably as the Utah War did. So, before we get into that, 
we're going to play our little game because we're going to talk about how wagon trains did on their way out west. Nice. Yay, games. <clears throat> so which one of you would like to go first? Or do you want to rock, uh, paper, scissors for it? I don't, is there an advantage? No, you're both oh. going to be playing the same game. We both separately. are like, how am I going to win? Yeah, I'll go first. <clears throat> okay. So I told these guys in advance to come up with a family name, basically like an Oregon Trail family that they're going to be in charge of. So... Mark, what did you come up with your for your for your West Old West family? My name? family's name is Quisenberry. Okay. And do you have like it's individual so names for <laughs> what? Do you have individual names for the people or no? Yeah. These are my children. Eborn, Irwin, Finch, Fleta, and Irene. <laughs> do you have a wife? No. Uh, <laughs> she already died. Oh boy, okay. You're she at a disadvantage or anything. Oh no! <laughs> Wait, uh, well, she's from uh, family holding house. Okay. I'm gonna say. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. So the idea behind this is that he his family has four oxen and two wagons that he's in charge of, and they're halfway across the country moving west. All right. So you bit pretty much have three encounters that you're gonna have to go through to see if your whole family survives and if all of your goods will make it there. So I have given him three dice. There's a 12-sided die, a 20-sided die, and a four-sided die. Yeah. So these three encounters, you're going to roll the 12-sided die, uh-huh. and whatever number you land on depends what your encounter is going to be. Okay. So if you want to roll that first one, I'll tell you what happens. Big money, big money, no whammy, no whammy. Two. Okay. Number two, bandits rob you at night. Would you like to wake up and try and defend yourself, or would you let them pass without fighting? Because if you fight, you may die. Do I know how many? No. We don't call 911. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in this day and age, murder's basically just another day, so I am going to stay asleep. Okay. So... He, Mark pulls his blanket over his head, meaning that the robbers can't get him. Okay, so, so now... <laughs> My feet are exposed, though. <laughs> <laughs> so now, how this is going to work is that the 20-sided die is going to determine how severe they rob you. Oh. So, <laughs> so I want higher low numbers. You want to get higher numbers. Higher numbers okay. mean it's less severe. So. Right. Okay, That's 10, a 10. The road. Okay, so you wake up the next morning, and yeah. you go outside... And you find that two of your oxen are gone. Oh my gosh! How no. did I have four? Yeah. Oh, I'm only down two oxes? Oof. So, now you have the decision. You can either try and hitch one oxen per wagon and take one more encounter, or you can leave the wagon and continue on with only two encounters left. Other than otherwise doing three encounters again? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's the old west. It's not easy. It's the Oregon Trail. We're taking the oxen. Darn it. We're not leaving the wagon. We're not? Okay, so you're strapping strapping one to each? Okay, so you got three more encounters then. All right. Roll them again. Ten. While hunting, you get gored by a buffalo. (laughs) So would you like... Yeah, I guess that would be you. So you're now dead. So it's it's your wife and your children that are left alive. So you'll be playing the wife now. Okay. I shouldn't have a first name. You're just from Family Holting House. Okay. <laughs> Miss from, Family Holting House. <laughs> the wife from Family Holting House. You have two encounters left. Let's see how you do. All right. Eight. 
<laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Two of your cattle are taken by Native Americans. <laughs> so what all, is now what? So you're all out of cattle. So you're all out of cattle. You can't. So you're uh, hitching up the kids to the wagons. <laughs> yeah. So you can carry what you can. All right. But you're going to be low on resources. So it's going to be tough. We're pushing through. You got one more encounter left. All right, here we However, go. I will say, depending on what this is, it's probably going to be a worse result to, no matter what, just because you're so low on supplies. Now let's find out four. Two children wander in the tall grass and never return. Oh, that means I still have three? <laughs> yep, so you still have three And kids. I'm done with my encounters? You've done your encounter. Oh, baby. So Made it. Now, but because you don't have your wagons and your resources oh. were so low, give me a roll on the 20-sided die just to see if you get if you roll bad, you're going to either lose a child or you're going to lose your my wife or family holding house. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're all good. Oh, we made it You guys had the willpower and made it through. All right. What an absolutely elite role to end the game. So so you did win the game despite losing all of your stuff. At least my wife from Holting House. (laughs) Your unnamed (laughs) widow wife. (laughs) Who could ever forget? (laughs) So, Evan, now it's your turn. Let's see if you can make it there as well. I will say that in this list, there's only one good thing. Uh-oh. So <laughs> if you can get the good that. thing, that'll be nice. But All right, so my family, we got the Dingledorfs. <laughs> oh, sure. With uh, Jebediah and Jocelyn Dingledorf. <laughs> then we have Jimmy, George with a J. <laughs> oh, my god. Bert, Bonnie, and Jeb Jr. How many kids does he have? Five. Five. Oh. I just have... Uh, he has a, a named, named wife. wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Evan, let's see how the, uh, what, Dingledorf? The Dingledorf. Oh, let's see how the Dingledorfs fare in this in this old west landscape. All right, so 21st? No, roll a 12 first. That'll determine what you get. Uh, work the dots. Uh, it's a six. Six. A wagon accident runs over your child and kills them. <laughs> Do I get to pick which one? Sure, you can decide which child. Oh, then. no! <laughs> Bye, Bonnie. <laughs> Aww, Bonnie. All right, so we've lost Bonnie to a wagon accident already. Let's see how the rest of the family does. Next, we have a 10. While hunting, you get gored by a buffalo. No. <laughs> oh, no. So father and Bonnie are dead now. All right, rest in peace, Jebediah. All right, let's see what your last one is. I honestly kind of liking my ads. Got yeah, you're doing pretty good. Four children... It just depends if you depends if you get one that gives you an extra encounter or not. A twelve. Okay. Lightning starts your wagon on fire. Oh. So roll the uh, twenty sided die and let's see how bad it is. Twenty. Oh my gosh! You guys are just rolling twenties. Wow. All right. I guess you were able to put the fire out pretty quick, and your wagon's okay. So. Wow. Let's go. <laughs> I thought about giving you guys more encounters, but I made these pretty bad, so I didn't know if you guys... You guys got pretty good ones, for the most part. Yeah. So, All right, let's hear some of the other ones, then. So, number one... So, did I make it? I think yeah, you, you made it. Hey! So, number one was... Dingledorf. Dingledorf. <laughs> Dingledorf. Number one was fording a river, and that one was going to be tough because you had to roll pretty high for like the wagon not to tip over, or oxen not to run away, or your child, children not to drown. Number two is bandits robbing you. 
three, you get sick and possibly die, depending on how you rolled. Uh, number four, your children wander in the grass and never return. Five was an accidental rifle discharge, and you would roll the... Uh, I forgot the six-sided dice, but you would have rolled a six-sided dice to determine who it hit. Uh, Bonnie, the <laughs> Number six, wagon accident runs over your child. Seven was the good one. You find a trail guide who helps you get to your destination quicker, so you had one less encounter. Uh, eight was your cattle Neat. taken by Native Americans. Nine, you got caught in crossfire in town while resupplying, so you could have lost multiple people there. Uh, Ten, you guys both got gored by the buffalo. Eleven, turkey egg-sized hailstones kill one of your children. And twelve was lightning starting your wagon on fire. Wow, what a rough trip. So those were all real things that could have happened to you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hey, we made it. You did make it. We both made it. I thought about Woman from Holding House is (laughs) too strong. Her will is strong, yeah. I, I thought about giving more encounters like as you went, but I was like, man, I feel like I already gave him a lot of things that are going to kill people. <laughs> so I, I made it a little less extreme, but yeah. good job, guys. You also stole two of my oxen. It, all of your oxen were stolen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I guess I should have given you an extra encounter because you had to walk then, but uh, it's, well, it's too we, late. We, couldn't we know for next time. It's too late. You already made it. Yeah. All right, so back to the story. So the Fancher party, who was making its way to Utah from Arkansas, was kind of leaving at an unfortunate time because about two weeks prior or after they had left Arkansas, a revered Mormon apostle in that area, excuse me, named Parley Pratt, was murdered in Arkansas. So the story here was... Parley Pratt was a Mormon preacher, and there is a family named the McLeans. And so Eleanor, the wife in the McLean family, had become a baptized Mormon, like, I think it was five years or so before this event happened. And after that, her wife, Hector, pretty much started abusing her, according to what Parley Pratt and Eleanor said. And so he claimed that Parley Pratt stole his wife after Pratt married Eleanor and added it to his harem of, I believe, 12 wives. So they went to court and basically said, well, Hector was abusing me and sent our children away. And so it's not my fault that I left him and I'm not in the wrong. And so they were cleared of all the charges, but Hector was not satisfied with that. So he led a mob and they killed Parley Pratt. So. That already with tensions in like very high in the Mormon community, once word of this reached the the settlement in Utah, it did not fare well for this Fancher party who was coming from the same way. Once the Fancher party arrived in Utah, they were already denying all of the immigrants any like resources, and if they were giving them anything, they would have to pay exorbitant prices and either haggle really hard or give up way more than they should to get like basic supplies and so the tensions between the two groups came to a fever pitch and the group of emigrants apparently started shouting at the mormons saying that they were a party to the people that ended up killing joseph smith and they had the gun that shot joseph smith and all of this stuff and 
obviously that's not going to go over well for a community of people that revere Joseph Smith as close to God. So mm-hmm. they didn't appreciate that. And one of the store owners like almost atta- like fought one of the party like members and he got ended up getting talked down. But with everyone's these rumors starting to spread, it didn't take too long for things to get out of hand again. So a man named Isaac Haight, who was second in command of the Mormon forces in southern Utah, as well as the highest ecclesiastic official in the area, attempted to convince the district militia commander in Cedar City named William Dame to send the militia to the party of what the wagon train, basically, who is camping now in Mountain Meadows. So his requests were pretty immediately denied by Dame, as well as a council of religious and local officials in the area, because they said that there's no reason to, really. Right. And Dame was quoted as saying, Do not notice their threats. Words are but wind. They injure no one. But if they commit acts of violence against citizens, such measures will be adopted as will ensure tranquility. So... Basically, we're not above attacking them if they attack first, but until that happens, leave them be. Right, like, they essentially just were talking a little smack, so they didn't want to risk endangering their own position even more, just because someone said, hey, we have a gun that killed your leader, which is a bold thing to say. Exactly, especially in the state that has pretty much all of the Mormons. Right. But... The local council told Height to ask Brigham Young for his say on the matter because they said, well, what did he say? And he said, well, I never asked. So he sent an express rider up to Salt Lake City with a letter asking what Brigham Young would suggest they do. And pretty much they were supposed to wait for the reply. But instead of waiting for that reply, Height began his plan instead in secret. So the plan, in a, in a combination with Major John D. Lee, was they're supposed to rile up the Native Americans in the area, the local Paiute Indians, to attack the wagon train. And they said, you guys can go and plunder this wagon train, and these people claim they're going to come in and kill us, and they said they're going to come and kill you guys as well. So this is for your own self-defense as well as you can get some reward out of it. Like I said, this comes out on September 6th, which that was the day that the local council met. So now it's September 7th, just before the letter was sent to Brigham Young, an attack with Height and John D. Lee kind of organizing it was made on the party. So the Paiutes, as well as Mormons, attempting to disguise themselves, ambushed the wagon train, and killed several of the emigrants. However, the the wagon party circled up, and they had better armaments than the uh, the Indians and the Mormons were expecting, and they were able to push the uh, attacking party back. So basically, they had a giant circle of wagons that they're corralling together and put up to defend themselves. So the Mormons and the Indians pretty much retreated, but they noticed that there was two men from the party outside of the wagon train. And so they attempted to chase both of them down to kill them. And they did get one person, but 
they didn't get the second guy. And the second guy was able to notice that it wasn't just Indians, but it was also white men who were attacking. And so he got back to the wagon train, and now the wagon train would know it's not just Indians, it's the Mormons as well. And that did not go over well with Height once he figured out that they knew it was them now. Because the whole idea was to blame it on the local Indians, and Mm -hmm. the Mormons would be cleared of anything. So, with the militia breathing down their necks, the military breathing down their necks, as well as a witness to their assault still alive, Height and John Lee told officials in another meeting to accept their plan again, but did not tell them that they had already attacked. And so they were denied again, and instead they were told by the officials, just help this party on their way, get them through the the territory as quickly as possible, then you don't even have to deal with them anymore. And after the meeting, Height allegedly pulled William Dame aside and told him about what had happened and said, they saw us, they know that we're a part of this, we have to go attack them. And so Dame felt like he had no other option and he didn't expressly tell him, okay, go take the militia, but he left height with the impression that he was okay to use militia members to get the deed done however he needed to. So once he had not expressed permission, but permission in his own mind, he organized a plan in accordance with John D. Lee again. And on Friday, September 11th, which will become to be known for a different reason. And I think that's why we don't talk about, that's one reason why this isn't really talked about because that date has a lot of other things going on. So, but on Friday, September 11th, 1857, Lee, John D. Lee entered the Fancher's party's wagon train under a white flag of surrender and told everyone in the party We'll escort you out of here with an armed guard at each of your sides to help defend you from the Indians so that you guys can pass through in peace. Just leave your weapons and your stuff here so that the Indians know that you're not coming to attack them. And so the party was pretty apprehensive at first, obviously, but they eventually agreed, and so they lined up one by one to be escorted out. So they had the wounded on wagons at the front, followed by women and children, followed by the young, like the middle-aged men and all of the other men at the back, all of them with their own armed guard. So they marched for about a mile outside of the wagon train, and then a signal was given by one of the militiamen, and each man in the militia turned to the person beside them and shot them while the Paiute Indians rushed in to kill any of the women and children. And in all, about 120 men, women, and children were murdered, with only 17 children left alive under the age of seven due to the fact that they were deemed too young to remember or know what happened. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Uh, it's pretty yikes. And none of you guys ever heard of that this probably, so. No, dude, not at all. Yeah, this is literally never talked about in any history book, like, I've read, like, in school or just outside of it, so this is a brand new topic. Right. So were there any consequences for these people? That's what I'll get into at the end. But, like, the people that were supposed to be guarding the wounded apparently stabbed all the wounded people in the trains, and, yeah, it was just then, after this, they stripped all of the people of all of their belongings and pretty much 
either bury them in a shallow grave or not at all. Yeah. So. Oof. Man, 120 people. That's, that, yeah, yeah that, that's a pretty much an estimated number was about 120. They don't know an exact number, but uh, the 17 children were supposedly sent to live with Mormon families, and there's even rumors that they were auctioned off to people. And I don't know if that's true because I only heard it in a couple places, and I mm, believe yeah. it's just a rumor regardless of whether I've heard it or not. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's not good. No, I'd say not. Yeah, that's uh, that's a not a great look. Yeah. For so September the 11th is marked in bad ways in more than one more than one way. Yeah. Not a great day. Yeah. So. Oh, it's coming up. It is. And I didn't even plan that. I started researching this before I even realized that. Wow. So two days after this event had happened, uh, the, and after this happened, pretty much all of the people that were involved were told, keep your mouth shut, don't say anything, we're going to try and blame this on the Indians. It's like, just lay low. And so two days after the event took place, the return letter from Brigham Young that had been sent out on the 7th returned and it was dated the 10th of September and it told Height to allow the wagon train to go in peace. And once Height read the letter, he apparently sobbed and the only words he could utter were too late, too late. So he, Height also later said that he wished he could give the world to have heeded the words of the council that told him not to go through with his plan, but let them pass through in peace as well. Mm-hmm. So, he did not feel good about what he had done. I hope not. Yeah, I was about to say. I mean, <laughs> I really hope not. Yeah. No feelings lost for that guy. Holy crap! Right. Not much sympathy for him. Yeah. So after this happened, the Mormon Church, upon finding out, attempted to blame it all on the Paiutes. But when this didn't work, they scapegoated one man in order to receive amnesty for the rest of the group, and that man was John D. Lee. So he was tried and executed after attempting to live in seclusion for years after the event. In November of 1847, he was caught and put on trial the next year and eventually got convicted in 1876 and executed in March of 1877 at Mountain Meadows. So there was 20 years in between when this all happened and when he actually got convicted Mm -hmm. and sentenced to death so as far as the utah war which was going on at the same time the troops weren't able to make it to utah before the winter of 1857 because the weather was too bad so they made it to salt lake city unopposed in june of 1858 and deposed young as governor of utah with a man named alfred cumming so that's why it's called the bloodless war because they pretty much marched in negotiated and said you're not governor anymore we brought this guy so we brought this guy (laughs) yeah so he he got deposed and that was pretty much the end of it ending Mm. the utah war so the only real casualties were the baker fancher party but they weren't really had no weren't even a part of it it, yeah. yeah so it was said that alfred cumming was a pretty gullible guy so whenever he would ask Brigham about what had happened with the Me- Mountain Meadows Massacre, Brigham would pretty much sidestep it or give him some sort of answer. 
that would imply that they really didn't do anything. So it was easy enough for Brigham to kind of put this off and not really say that their involvement was as bad as it was. But uh, it's kind of, there's a controversy over whether Brigham Young actually knew about the attack before it happened and was part of the organization. A lot of people say that there's reason to believe that he was a part of everything that happened, even though we have the written letter from him saying not to do it. But I guess people think that maybe that was written in as like an alibi kind of a thing. Mm. So, but yeah, it, there's a lot of people that don't really believe that it was just Isaac hate and uh, John D. Lee going behind everyone's backs and doing this. They think it had to be more of an organized thing, but either way. Which is interesting because I do think it would just be those lower level guys because if you're the if you're Brigham Young, it makes no sense for your religion to do this at all. I mean, just you already had the army coming at you. It doesn't make any sense to kill over 100 people and make people more mad. So right. it just doesn't make any sense. But he also, I believe he said, after John D. Lee was executed, he said something along the lines of, it's better for one man to fall for the sins of us that we can be free from them, basically. So he was more than willing to scapegoat him mm-hmm. and get pardons for everyone else oh. with without actually like pursuing justice as it should have. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. I guess it is the easy way out, so whatever. But yeah, that's the story of the Mountain Meadows Massacre. A, a very brief overview of the Mountain Meadows Massacre. There's a lot more that I didn't go into just because otherwise we'd be here for a while. But if you guys <laughs> want to. dude, that's scummy as I'll get out, though. Yeah. What yeah. were you going to say, though? I, I was just going to say, there's plenty of sources on this online if you guys wanted to read more oh, about okay. it yourselves or YouTube videos. I, I believe there's like a almost an hour-long documentary on YouTube about it. I didn't watch that one just because I felt like I had enough without it. But Yeah. Just very curious as to what the signal was. I believe the it was a man whose last name was Higby, and he pretty much just put his hand in the air and said, Halt, do your duty. And... That's when everyone turned and shot. Wow. No e. So, yeah. But I believe William Dame went to the site of everything the next day and talked about how wretched of a scene it was, basically saying everyone there was lying naked and in shallow graves and all this stuff. And, yeah. there And John D. Lee also wrote an autobiography and stated that Brigham Young had stuff to do with it but it wasn't published till after he was dead Mm -hmm. and a lot of people believe that it might have been the guy who edited it and 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 ended up publishing it that he may have taken liberties with some of it and Mm -hmm. tried to put that in there for whatever reason because john d lee was they tried to get him to indicate brigham young in his trial and he refused he didn't say anything So I don't know why he would not say something and then put it in the book. But I mean, unless he knew it wasn't going to be out until after he was dead anyways. But I just don't see the reason why he would do that. If it, if, because if he could say something to possibly 
I don't know if it would have saved his life, but if it would have helped you in any way. You almost have to compare it to a member of the Catholic Church, like blaming the Pope for something. It's almost the same comparison, I guess, just with that religious leader and how right. high up they were. So it's like, would people even believe him if he said it in a room of court as opposed to like the book after? Right. But yeah, this just kind of shows the uh, the tenuous nature of how Mormonism started. And this is like they agree that this is like the darkest spot in their history. And that's why they don't really like to talk about it for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But I watched a video on YouTube and it was from like a Latter-day Saints YouTube page. And so I was expecting, like, maybe they would say, try and sidestep a lot of the dark parts of it. But the the guy that they actually interviewed did a really good job in saying, like, this is a dark part of our history and that's why people don't want to talk about it. But I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from this. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool that he acknowledged, like, yeah, this is, we were completely in the wrong here. Like, this wasn't supposed to happen. But... Yeah, there's a part two on things you didn't learn in your history class. Yeah, holy cow. Yeah, that's heavy. It really is. It is. And I I don't like that they're all heavy things, because, but I feel like that's part of the reason why they're not talked about. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I mean, I think it was a good thing to bring up, since a lot of people probably have no idea about it until you just told them yeah. now. And it's definitely not something that I remember learning in any U.S. history class or anything, so... And obviously the Mormon church is a lot different now than it was back then. So it's sure. not like they're a, a like fire brimstone, kill all of our enemies no, type another, preachers anymore. But right. Another Pope is Mitt Romney. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, Parley Pratt was like the great grandfather of Mitt Romney. Go figure. Really? Yeah. The guy that was killed in Arkansas. <clears throat> so, so yeah, good old talk about. Some controversial things. Yeah. But I I would like to eventually get into more of the story about how Mormonism started and who Joseph Smith was, but there's just so much that goes into that story. Because I was re-listening to the last podcast on the left series on Mormonism that they did, and they ended up doing six parts on it. Oh, my goodness. And each part's like an hour and a half, so it's... A lot of content. Yeah. And even they admit, like, we're barely scratching the surface of a lot of this stuff, so... Wow. It's crazy how much goes into the story of how mormonism began and what it became but yeah but yeah i think every religion's got their dark spots so it's not like well, yeah oh literally every yeah single, it's not well, i guess i can't say every single one but yeah a lot of them yeah it's not like every sect of christianity has their own dark spots oh so. sure every sect of every religion right, right. they so. all have that like ooh, yeah our bad <laughs> yeah right so if any Mormons out there are listening to this, I'm not trying to vilify you. I'm just trying to educate people on things that happened and what we can learn from them. Yeah, maybe so. they'll want to come on and give their uh, what, what they are taught about this subject or yeah. something. Yeah, that'd be cool if any of you are Mormons and have never heard of this or have heard of it. Yeah. Um, how did you get taught about it and what did they kind of, what angle did they take and all yeah. that good stuff? Well, those guys were dicks. So. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't us. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all I got. So yeah, it was super interesting. Like we mentioned a couple times, never heard literally anything about this from the Utah war to this massacre. Yeah, I, the Utah because 
I was remind I've had heard of this through the last podcast series, and then I forgot about it. But I was on Reddit, and I saw someone ask about it. I was like, man, I should really dig more into that and actually cover that because I think it's because I believe the post is actually I've n- I'd never heard of the Utah War and then the Mormon thing. So how how did no one teach me about this? Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I should probably tell people then. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's the point of the pod. So here we are. Yeah. Well. You uncovered another gem. There we go. That's what we're here for. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Ev, got those good old social medias ready to go? Yep, have them up, and so I can just read them instead of just fumble my way through (laughs) as as per usual. Actually, before you do that, we still have shirts left. If you guys want to get a shirt, just email email us at gemsofhistorypodcast.gmail.com or message us on one of the following social medias. So you can find us on Instagram at Gems of History Podcast with a underscore where a space would be. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Gems underscore History. Uh, you can find our personal Twitter handles at Jacob from Wisco, at Mark underscore Stein B, and at Whatevskis. And then our Instagrams I do not have up, but I believe it's, let's see if I can do this, at Rushevin, at... I can't do it. <laughs> I don't even remember it. <laughs> so. yeah. But anyway, um, just interact with us. We always post some really creative stuff in my very biased opinion about our episodes <clears throat> or just other history topics. Uh, so come follow us. Yeah, definitely. And I guess I should, probably should have asked before we did all the plugs, but did you guys have any like questions for me about the stuff that I talked about? Is there anything that stood out that you didn't or wanted to know more about? Um, I was a little intrigued by the fact that I mean, I'm not saying it involved a small group of people, but it was just remembered in, or it hasn't been that long ago. But a lot of the details are still saved for something that you'd think they'd kind of want to bury as something that happened. I think that was most yeah. shocking to me. Something that's not even really taught in our personal like history classes, and then obviously makes Mormons look really bad. I just feel like this is one of those things that kind of disappears from history but yet now you're telling me all the, these nitty-gritty details that people know about it and we didn't even like get into all the weeds that's kind of shocking that there's that much to discuss about something i would have assumed they would have let die at the time and they definitely did try to cover it up but i mean there was surviving children still so some of those children did remember what happened so those yeah, children spoke about it too and i mean i believe there was an author who was writing a book about traveling through to the west and he kind of passed through the area shortly after this event and he still saw like bones or like like decomposing bodies or whatever that were there so he he kind of wrote about it so there's plenty of people and even people that were involved in like the militia that did the act some of them even wrote about it because a lot of them felt so guilty about it too so yeah there's there's just a lot of surviving people that were able to kind of give their viewpoints on everything that happened and we still have the letter from Brigham Young and all that stuff so mm-hmm. huh. is there anything else you guys had questions about or uh personally no I mean I thought that was really you want to say great topic but very interesting yeah. topic yeah because it is agree. about a sadder topic but no I like that a lot yeah like I said if any of you guys want to learn more about it there's plenty of stuff out there so I'm just giving you guys a little a little bit so, of what happened. What is it, a so. Sprinkler of a tease or sprinkle of a teaser. <clears throat> but yeah, that's all we got for you this week. So, well, thanks for bringing another good story, Jacob. Of course. Yeah. Thank you, boys, for listening. 
thank you all out there for listening. Uh, have you got a topic picked out for the next one? I do. I think I'm going to stick with the battle theme. Not going to obviously tell you which one, but I do have a battle picked out. Oh, cool. Very good. <laughs> and that is just your arch enemy. Oh, it's, it's about been to my get enemy. I know. It's, as it's soon been... as we log off, yeah. it's about to get. It's going to catch. His, <laughs> it's going to catch his hands. That's for sure. Well, Evan's got to go. Maybe buck. it. Maybe it's. Uh, it smells my <laughs> zingy <Moscato>. and refreshing, <laughs> pasture fruit and sweet melon flavors wine in front of me. Yeah. Well, Evan's got to go box in that, so we got to get out of here. <laughs> I lose it a fifth round TKO. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll talk to you later.